Welcome to another in-depth exploration of biblical missionaries, written by Borge Schantz, edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 5. Exiles as Missionaries. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel 7, verse 14, New International Version. As a people of prophecy, Seventh-day Adventists believe in the soon coming of Jesus Christ. His coming will end this world as we know it and ultimately will usher in God's everlasting kingdom. Depicted in the book of Daniel this way, the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Daniel 7.27, New King James Version. This kingdom is the culmination of our faith. It is what the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 16 called the better country, the one that all God's people through the ages have trusted will come. As verse 10 of the same chapter says, the one whose builder and maker is God. But the book of Daniel is also a kind of handbook for missionary activity. From it, we can draw lessons on how the Lord was able to use some of his people to witness to those who were steeped in the spiritual and theological ignorance. Through their faithfulness and diligence and unwavering faith, these believers revealed the reality of the living God to those who knew only false ones and gave these pagans a chance at a place in this everlasting kingdom as well. Let's listen to two sets of verses, Isaiah 39, verses 5, 6, and 7, and Daniel 1, verses 1 and 2. Here's the question to be answered. How are these verses related? Isaiah 39, verses 5, 6, and 7 say, Then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your predecessors have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who are born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Daniel 1 verses 1 and 2 say, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, 
along with a part of the vessels of the house of God, and he carried them into the land of Shinar, Babylonia, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Daniel, whose name means God is my judge, was force-marched from a defeated Jerusalem into the Babylonian capital. The book of Daniel gives glimpses of his life in the courts of Babylon and Persia. After three years of education in Babylon, Daniel was employed as a civil servant and royal advisor. Through the power of God, he rose above normal captive status to become a highly placed missionary to two superpowers. The book of Daniel is more than a treasure of prophetic literature. The reader encounters some of the challenges facing Hebrews living in an alien culture that provided no apparent support for their loyalty to the God of Israel and at times was openly hostile. It also paints a beautiful picture of men who lived to live out their commitment to truth in the absence of the temple, the priesthood, and sacrifices. Daniel, although being forced marched to Babylon as a captive, became a great missionary. How? Because of his character. We will listen to four sets of verses from the book of Daniel. What do these texts tell us about Daniel's character that made him the great missionary he was? Our readings, character sketches, will come from the Amplified Bible, published by the Lockman Foundation. Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 to 13. But Daniel determined in his heart that he would not defile himself by eating his portion of the king's rich and dainty food or by drinking the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might be allowed not to defile himself. Now God made Daniel to find favor, compassion, and loving kindness with the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear, lest my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, should see your faces worse looking or more sad than the other youths of your age. Then you would endanger my head with the king. Then said Daniel to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove your servants, I beseech you, for ten days, and let us be given a vegetable diet and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat of the king's rich dainties be observed and compared by you and deal with us, your servants, according to what you see. Daniel 5, verse 12. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, clarify riddles, and solve difficult problems were found in this same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Daniel 6, verse 4. Then the presidents and satraps sought to find occasion to bring accusation against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion or fault, for he was faithful, 
nor was there any error or fault found in him. And Daniel 9 verses 3 to 19, And I set my face to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and supplications, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and made confession, and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, who keeps covenant, mercy, and loving kindness with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and dealt perversely and done wickedly and have rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Neither have we listened to and heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us confusion and shame of face as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, to those who are near and those who are afar off, through all the countries to which you have driven them because of the treacherous trespass which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belong confusion and shame of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and loving kindness and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us through his servants the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law, even turning aside that they might not obey your voice. Therefore the curse has been poured out on us and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. And he has carried out intact his threatening words, which he threatened against us and against our judges, the kings, princes, and rulers generally, who ruled us, and he has brought upon us a great evil. For under the whole heavens there has not been done before anything so dreadful as he has caused to be done against Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses as to all this evil that would surely come upon transgressors, so it has come upon us. Yet we have not earnestly begged for forgiveness and entreated the favor of the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and have understanding and become wise in your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity, evil, and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is uncompromisingly righteous and rigidly just in all his works, which he does, keeping his word, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and secured yourself renown and a name as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your rightness and justice, I beseech you, let your anger and your wrath be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. Because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach and a byword to all who are around about us. 
Now therefore, O our God, listen to and heed the prayer of your servant Daniel and his supplications. And for your own sake, cause your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and look at our desolations and the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you for our own righteousness and justice, but for your great mercy and loving kindness. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, give heed and act. Do not delay for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Every institution that bears the name of Seventh-day Adventist is to be to the world as was Joseph in Egypt and as were Daniel and his fellows in Babylon. In the providence of God, these men were taken captive that they might carry to heathen nations the knowledge of the true God. They were to be representatives of God in our world. They were to make no compromise with the idolatrous nations with which they were brought in contact, but were to stand loyal to their faith, bearing as a special honor the name of worshippers of the God who created the heavens and the earth. Those words of accountability and providence were written by Ellen G. White in her book Testimonies for the Church, Volume 8, page 153. Think how easy it would have been for Daniel to have compromised, especially given his circumstances. What does Daniel's example teach us about how lame our excuses for compromise often really are? Witnesses, Daniel chapter 2 through 5. In Daniel 2, Daniel had an opportunity, born out of necessity, to witness to the power of the true God, as opposed to the false ones of Babylon. Daniel 2 verses 20 through 23 tell us, Daniel answered, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known to me now what we desired of you. For you have made known to us the solution to the king's problem. After singing a hymn of praise with his Jewish compatriots and thanking God for answering their prayers, Daniel interpreted the king's dream and testified to God's greatness and dominion over all earthly kingdoms. What does the king say that shows he learned something about the true God? Daniel 2.47 reports the king's words of amazement. The king answered Daniel, 
of a truth, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of secret mysteries, seeing that you could reveal this secret mystery. In Daniel 2, Daniel didn't have a choice. Either give the king what he wanted or face death. In contrast, in chapter 3, his three friends could have spared themselves the fiery furnace if they simply had obeyed the king's command. Instead, by their faithful witness, they were able to testify to the power of the true God. How did Nebuchadnezzar know that the form of the fourth was like the Son of God? He had heard of the Son of God from the Hebrew captives that were in his kingdom. They had brought the knowledge of the living God who ruleth all things. That insight was published in the Advent Review and Sabbath Herald on May 3, 1892, and was written by Ellen G. White. In Daniel 4, what confession did King Nebuchadnezzar again make regarding the true God? All thanks to the witness of Daniel. We find the answer in Daniel 4, verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, whose works are all faithful and right, and whose ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to abase and humble. In Daniel 5, we have Daniel's last appearance at the Babylonian court, where he is called upon to explain the extraordinary writing upon the wall of Belshazzar's palace, foretelling the overthrow of the Babylonian Empire at the hands of the Medes and Persians. Though no doubt Belshazzar had been impressed by what Daniel did, it was too late. The king's fate was all but sealed. The sad thing is that, according to Daniel 5 verses 17 to 23, Belshazzar had had opportunity to learn truth and to be humbled by it. Let's listen to these verses. Daniel chapter 5, verses 17 to 23. Then Daniel answered before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. However, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom, and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind and spirit were hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was disposed from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among men, and his heart or mind was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. He was fed with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of the heavens until he learned and knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and that he appoints and sets over it whomever he will. And you his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart and mind though you knew all this, knew it and were defiant. 
and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand your breath is, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored and glorified, but have dishonored and disgraced. Unfortunately, Belshazzar did not take advantage of those opportunities. What kind of witness does your life represent to the world? What does your answer tell you? Daniel in Persia. Daniel chapter 6, verse 20 says, And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? The king called Daniel, the servant of the living God. What is implied in those words? Listening friend, are you a servant of the living God? In Daniel 6, with the change of empire and king, Daniel still kept his position and was even promoted, becoming one of three presidents to whom 120 satraps were to report. King Darius even considered appointing him vizier over his whole kingdom, arousing the antipathy of the other presidents and satraps. They induced the king to make an empire-wide decree that really was aimed at Daniel alone. He was thrown into a den of lions, but God dramatically intervened in a situation that even the sympathetic king could not reverse. Daniel's deliverance so pleased the king that he issued an empire-wide royal decree exalting the God of Daniel. We read his decree in Daniel chapter 6, verses 26 and 27 in the New International Version. Then King Darius wrote to all nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. 
He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Here are three questions to answer as you listen to Daniel chapter 6. What in the chapter indicates that Daniel had already been a great witness to the king? Also, what in the king's decree indicates that he knew more about Daniel's God than he could have learned merely from the dramatic rescue? What does this tell you about Daniel's witness to him? Here is what Daniel chapter 6 says. It pleased King Darius, successor to Belshazzar, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps who should be in charge throughout all the kingdom and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might give account to them and that the king should have no loss or damage. Then this Daniel was distinguished above the presidents and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and satraps sought to find occasion to bring accusation against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion or fault, for he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion to bring accusation against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came tumultuously together to the king and said to him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom the deputies and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, have consulted and agreed that the king should establish a royal statute and make a firm decree that whoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, except of you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be altered. So King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows, being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He got down upon his knees three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came thronging by agreement, and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning his prohibitory decree, have you not signed an edict that any man who shall make a petition to any god or man within thirty days, except of you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be changed or repealed. Then they said before the king, That Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, 
does not regard or pay any attention to you, O king, or to the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed over what he had done and to set his mind on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these same men came thronging by agreement to the king and said, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed or repealed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you are serving continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that there might be no change of purpose concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting, neither were instruments of music or dancing girls brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den and to Daniel, he cried out in a voice of anguish. The king said to Daniel, O Daniel! Servant of the living God, is your God, whom you serve continually, able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth so that they may have not hurt me because I was found innocent and blameless before him and also before you, O king, as you very well know. I have done no harm or wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel should be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no hurt of any kind was found on him because he believed in, relied on, adhered to, and trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they ever reached the bottom of the den, the lions had overpowered them and had broken their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and languages in his realm that dwelt in all the earth. May peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring and steadfast forever, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even to the end of the world. He is a savior and deliverer, and he works signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this man Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
Daniel and God's eternal kingdom. Daniel was not merely an interpreter of other men's dreams, significant as that was in this context. In Daniel chapters 7 through 12, he had his own visions, which revealed the future of great world superpowers. Read them sometime. Daniel's visions especially emphasized that despite earthly rulers and their plans and machinations, God retains final control of nations. In the end, Daniel chapter 2 verse 44 promises that he and his final kingdom will triumph and that triumph will be complete. Listen. And in the days of these final ten kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people, but it shall break and crush and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Now let's listen to Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. What is being described in these texts? And how does it relate to the idea of Christians taking the gospel to the world? I saw in the night visions, and behold, on the clouds of the heavens came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And there was given him the Messiah, dominion and glory, and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. Whatever else those verses are talking about, the central issue is the establishment of God's eternal kingdom which doesn't come until after the return of Jesus. And what factor did Jesus himself say was important in regard to his return? Matthew 24, 14-16, New International Version tells us that he said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus' prophecies of the end of the world in Matthew 24 are linked to Daniel's prophecies. In particular, the abomination of desolation predicted by Daniel. Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, from Young's literal translation, says, And strong ones out of him stand up, and have polluted the sanctuary, the stronghold, and have turned aside the continual sacrifice, and appointed the desolating abomination. And Daniel chapter 12 Verse 11, also from the same translation, says, And from the time of the turning aside of the perpetual sacrifice and to the giving out of the desolating abomination are days a thousand, two hundred and ninety. 
These events were further explained and applied by Jesus to his own day and beyond. The point is that Jesus closely linked the book of Daniel to the end of times, which of course isn't surprising because Daniel in many places does indeed point to the end times. For example, from the Amplified Bible, these three verses, Daniel chapter 8, verses 17 and 19 say, So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, for the fulfillment of the vision belongs to events that shall occur in the time of the end. And he said, Behold, I will make you know what will be in the latter time of the indignation of God upon the ungodly, for it has to do with the time of the end. Daniel chapter 11, verse 35. And some of those who are wise, prudent, and understanding shall be weakened and fall. Thus then the insincere among the people will lose courage and become deserters. And Daniel chapter 12, verses 4 and 13. But you, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Then many shall run to and fro and search anxiously through the book. And knowledge of God's purposes as revealed by his prophets shall be increased and become great. But you... Daniel, who was now over ninety years of age, go your way until the end, for you shall rest and shall stand fast in your allotted place at the end of the days. And according to Jesus, the end doesn't come until, as the book of Matthew chapter 24 verse 14, New King James Version says, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. The gospel is to be preached unto all the world, and only then will Jesus return. And we are the ones called to take it there, right? Some then argue that Jesus can't return until we do our work. How do you understand your role in the timing of Jesus' return? Exiles as missionaries. Daniel was an Israelite in involuntary banishment from Israel, as were Joseph and Moses in Egypt, Nehemiah in Babylon, and Esther in Persia. Their lives reveal that it is possible to live faithfully to God in spiritually and culturally unsupportive environments. With God's direction, it was even possible to attain prominent administrative positions in these alien settings. Each lived a creative and rich life, skillfully negotiating complex religious, social, political, and economic dynamics far different from those of their home culture. They not only were loyal members of exiled Hebrew communities, they were also in their own ways effective missionaries for the God of Israel. 
witness while in exile included both passive presence and active proclamation. An example of passive presence, we can look at Esther's experience as a captive. Number one, Esther did not identify as a Hebrew until called to reveal it. Number two, she kept her religion to herself until called to reveal it. Number three, God protected Esther and her family. Number four, Esther witnessed in high places to save her life along with her people's. And in number five, Esther helped to establish religious freedom and the right to self-defense of a religious minority. Now, let's see how Daniel is an example of active proclamation. Number one, Daniel identified as a Hebrew. Number two, he made known his religious convictions. Number three, God protected Daniel and his friends. Number four, Daniel witnessed in high places to save his life along with other people's lives. And number five, Daniel indirectly influenced King Cyrus to allow exiled Hebrews to rebuild the Jerusalem temple. We will now hear Genesis chapter 41 as you listen to Joseph's experience. Answer these two questions. In what ways was Joseph able to witness to the Egyptians? And how does Joseph's story parallel that of Daniel and his companions in Babylon? Genesis 41. After two full years, Pharaoh dreamed that he stood by the river Nile. And behold, there came up out of the river Nile seven well-favored cows, sleek and handsome and fat, and they grazed in the reed grass in a marshy pasture. And behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river Nile, ill-favored and gaunt and ugly, and stood by the fat cows on the bank of the river Nile. And the ill-favored, gaunt, and ugly cows ate up the seven well-favored and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke, but he slept and dreamed the second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came out on one stalk, plump and good. And behold, after them seven ears of grain sprouted, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the seven thin ears of grain devoured the seven plump and full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So when morning came, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but not one could interpret them to him. Then the chief butler said to Pharaoh, I remember my faults today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the captain of the guard's house, both me and the chief baker, we dreamed a dream in the same night, he and I. We dreamed each of us according to the significance of the interpretation of his dream. And there was there with us a young man, a Hebrew, servant to the captain of the guard and a chief executioner. And we told him our dreams, and he interpreted them to us, to each man according to the significance of his dream. 
And as he interpreted to us, so it came to pass. I was restored to my office as chief butler, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. But Joseph first shaved himself, changed his clothes, and made himself presentable. Then he came into Pharaoh's presence. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. And I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream and interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God, not I, will give Pharaoh a favorable answer of peace. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, behold, I stood on the bank of the river Nile, and behold, there came up out of the river Nile seven fat, sleek, and handsome cows, and they grazed in the reed grass of a marshy pasture. And behold, seven other cows came up after them, undernourished, gaunt, and ugly, just skin and bones, such emaciated animals as I have never seen in all of Egypt. And the lean and ill-favored cows ate up the seven fat cows that had come first. And when they had eaten them up, it could not be detected and known that they had eaten them, for they were still as thin and emaciated as at the beginning. Then I awoke, but again I fell asleep and dreamed. And I saw in my dream, and behold, seven ears of grain growing on one stalk, plump and good. And behold, seven other ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted after them. And the thin ears devoured the seven good ears. Now I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could tell me what it meant. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The two dreams are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of grain are seven years. The two dreams are one in their meaning. And the seven thin and ill-favored cows that came up after them are seven years, and also the seven empty ears of grain, blighted and shriveled by the east wind. They are seven years of hunger and famine. This is the message, just as I have told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Take note, seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt are coming. Then there will come seven years of hunger and famine, and there will be so much want that all the great abundance of the previous years will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and hunger, destitution, starvation will exhaust, consume, finish the land. And the plenty will become quite unknown in the land because of that following famine, for it will be very woefully severe. That the dream was sent twice to Pharaoh and in two forms indicates that this thing which God will very soon bring to pass is fully prepared and established by God. So now let Pharaoh seek out and provide a man discreet, understanding, proficient, 
and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt as governor. Let Pharaoh do this. Then let him select and appoint officers over the land, and take one-fifth of the produce of the whole land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years, year by year. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and lay up grain under the direction and authority of Pharaoh. And let them retain food in fortified granaries in the cities. And that food shall be put in store for the country against the seven years of hunger and famine that are to come upon the land of Egypt, so that the land may not be ruined and cut off by the famine. And the plan seemed good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find this man's equal, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, For as much as your God has shown you all this, there is nobody as intelligent and discreet and understanding and wise as you are. You shall have charge over my house, and all my people shall be governed according to your word, with reverence, submission, and obedience. Only in matters of the throne will I be greater than you are. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in official vestments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. He made him to ride in the second chariot which he had, and officials cried before him, Bow the knee! And he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without you, shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph made an inspection tour of all the land of Egypt. Joseph, who had been in Egypt thirteen years, was thirty years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went about his duties through all the land of Egypt. In the seven abundant years the earth brought forth by handfuls for each seed planted, and he gathered up all the surplus food of the seven good years in the land of Egypt and stored up the food in the cities. He stored away in each city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph gathered grain as the sand of the sea, very much until he stopped counting, for it could not be measured. Now to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph called the firstborn Manasseh, making to forget. For God, said he, has made me forget all my toil and hardship and all my father's house. And the second he called Ephraim to be fruitful, for he said, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction.
when the seven years of plenty were ended in the land of Egypt, the seven years of scarcity and a famine began to come. As Joseph had said they would, the famine was in all the surrounding lands, but in all of Egypt there was food. But when all the land of Egypt was weakened with hunger, the people there cried to Pharaoh for food. And Pharaoh said to them all, Go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. When the famine was over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine grew extremely distressing in the land of Egypt. And all countries came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the known earth. Listening, friend, in what of the situations in which you find yourself, can you witness for your faith? Are you giving a passive or active witness, or both? What are things you can either say or do that would bless people you encounter with an authentic example of the goodness and love of God? We'll be right back. What do you think of the bold predictions found in the Bible? For example, Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 says, He will confirm a covenant with many for one week. In the middle of the week, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Did you know this prediction, given centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ, was fulfilled with astonishing precision in his life? Would you like to know how? Hi, I am Zdravko Stefanovic. Please join me as we explore the prophecies of Daniel in the Bible Explorer series entitled Who is Like God? Rock-solid promises for your future. You can order today or anytime at www.ambassadorgroup.org. Let's continue exploring. Multitudes will be called to a wider ministry. The whole world is opening to the gospel. From every quarter of this world of ours comes the cry of sin-stricken hearts for a knowledge of the God of love. It rests with us, who have received the knowledge, with our children to whom we may impart it, to answer their cry to every household and every school, to every parent, teacher, and child upon whom has shone the light of the gospel, comes at this crisis the question put to Esther the queen at that momentous crisis in Israel's history. Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? The book is entitled the Adventist home. The author's name is Ellen G. White. You will find that quotation on pages 484 and 485. 
Are you ready for a challenge? Let's listen to the prophecies in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapters 2, 7, and 8 from the Amplified Bible. As you listen, try to answer this question. In what ways are these such a powerful testimony, not only to the prophetic reliability of the Bible, but to God's foreknowledge of the future? Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams by which his spirit was troubled and agitated and his sleep went from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians, the enchanters or soothsayers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, the diviners, to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then said the Chaldeans, the diviners, to the king in Aramaic, the Syrian language, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered the diviners, The thing is gone from me, and the decree goes forth from me, and I say it with all emphasis. If you do not make known to me the dream with its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So show me the dream and the interpretation of it. You shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. They answered again, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see the thing is gone from me, and because you see that my word against you is sure. If you will not make known to me the dream, there is but one sentence for you, for you have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me, hoping to delay your execution until the time is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I will know that you can tell me the interpretation of it. The Chaldeans, diviners, answered before the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can show the king this matter, for no king, lord or ruler, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. A rare and weighty thing indeed the king requires. None, except the gods, can reveal it to the king, and their dwelling is not with human flesh. For this cause the king was angry and very furious, and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went forth that the wise men were to be killed, and the officers sought Daniel and his companions to be slain. Then Daniel returned an answer which was full of prudence and wisdom to Arioch, the captain or executioner of the king's guard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so urgent and hasty from the king? Then Arioch explained the matter to Daniel. And Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would set a date and give him time, and he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, so that they would desire and request mercy of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his companions should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
Daniel answered, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known to me now what we desired of you. For you have made known to us the solution to the king's problem. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show to the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah, who will make known to the king the interpretation of his dream. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation of it? Daniel answered the king, The mysterious secret which the king has demanded neither the wise men, enchanters, magicians, nor astrologers can show the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what it is that shall be in the latter days, at the end of days. Your dream and the visions in your head upon your bed are these. As for you, O king, as you were lying upon your bed, thoughts came into your mind about what should come to pass hereafter, and he who reveals secrets was making known to you what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than anyone else living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart and mind. You, O king, saw, and behold, there was a great image. This image was mighty, and of exceedingly great brightness stood before you, and the appearance of it was frightening and terrible. As for this image, its head was of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay, the baked clay of the potter. As you looked, a stone was cut out without human hands, which smote the image on its feet of iron and baked clay of the potter, and broke them to pieces. Then the iron, the baked clay of the potter, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken and crushed together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain or rock and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and we will tell the interpretation of it to the king. You, O king, are king of the earthly kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, and the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, he has given them into your hand, and has made you to rule over them all. You, king of Babylon, are the head of gold. And after you shall arise another kingdom, the Medo-Persian, 
inferior to you, and still a third kingdom of bronze, Greece under Alexander the Great, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom, Rome, shall be strong as iron, since iron breaks to pieces and subdues all things, and like iron which crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of baked clay of the potter, and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But there shall be in it some of the firmness and strength of iron, just as you saw the iron mixed with miry earthen clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of baked clay of the potter, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle and broken. And as you saw the iron mixed with miry and earthen clay, so they shall mingle themselves in the seed of men in marriage bonds, but they will not hold together, for two such elements or ideologies can never harmonize, even as iron does not mingle itself with clay. And in the days of these final ten kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people, but it shall break and crush and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. The dream is certain, and the interpretation of it is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel as a great prophet of the highest God, and ordered that an offering and incense shall be offered up to him in honor of his God. The king answered Daniel, Of a truth your God is the God of gods, and the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secret mysteries, seeing that you could reveal this secret mystery. Then the king made Daniel great, and gave him many great gifts, and he made him to rule over the whole province of Babylon, and to be chief governor over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel requested of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the gate of the king, at the king's court. Let's listen to Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions in his head as he was lying upon his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the gist of the matter. Daniel said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens, political and social agitations, were stirring up the great sea, the nations of the world, and four great beasts came up out of the sea in succession and different from one another. The first, the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar, was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I looked till the wings of it were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon two feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, the Medo-Persian Empire, was like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, or one dominion, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, 
and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, the Grecian empire of Alexander the Great, like a leopard which had four wings of a bird on its back. The beast had also four heads, Alexander's generals, his successors, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, the Roman Empire, terrible, powerful, and dreadful, and exceedingly strong, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled what was left with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that came before it, and it had ten horns, symbolizing ten kings. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth, speaking great things. I kept looking until thrones were placed for the assessors with the judge, and the Ancient of Days, God the Eternal Father, took his seat, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him, and ten thousand times ten thousand rose up and stood before him. The judge was seated, the court was in session, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words which the horn was speaking, I watched until the beast was slain, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their power of dominion was taken away, yet their lives were prolonged, for the duration of their lives was fixed for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, on the clouds of the heavens came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And there was given him, the Messiah, dominion and glory and kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was grieved and anxious within me, and the visions of my head alarmed and agitated me. I came near to one of those who stood there and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saint of the Most High God shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast which was different from all the others, exceedingly terrible and shocking, whose teeth were of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke and crushed, and trampled what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns representing kings that were on its head, and the other horn which came up later and before which three of the horns fell, the horn which had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and which looked greater than the others, as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High God. And the time came 
when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus the angel said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, tread it down, and break it in pieces and crush it. And as for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be different from the former ones, and he shall subdue and put down three kings. And he shall speak words against the Most High God, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change the time of sacred feasts and holy days, and the law. And the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, two times, and half a time, three and one-half years. But the judgment shall be set by the court of the Most High, and they shall take away his dominion to consume it gradually, and to destroy it suddenly in the end. And the kingdom, and the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heavens shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my waking thoughts troubled and alarmed me much, and my cheerfulness of countenance was changed in me. But I kept the matter of the interpreting angel's information in my heart and mind. And now, Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and it seemed that I was at Shushan, the palace or fortress in Susa, the capital of Persia, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was by the river of Uli. And I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a single ram which had two horns, representing two kings of Medo-Persia, Darius the Mede, then Cyrus. And the two horns were high, but one, Persia, was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I looked and saw the ram, Medo-Persia, pushing and charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him. Neither could anyone rescue from his power but he did according to his own will and pleasure and magnified himself. As I was considering, behold, a he-goat, the king of Greece, came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous and remarkable horn between his eyes, symbolizing Alexander the Great. And he came to the ram that had the two horns which I had seen standing on the bank of the river and ran at him in the heat of his power. In my vision I saw him come close to the ram, Medo-Persia, and he was moved with anger against him, and he, Alexander the Great, struck the ram and broke his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but the goat threw him to the ground and trampled on him, and there was no one who could resist, and there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. And the he-goat, Alexander the Great, magnified himself exceedingly. And when he was young and strong, the great horn, he was suddenly broken. And instead of him, there came up four notable horns to whom the kingdom was divided, one toward each of the four winds of the heavens. 
Out of littleness and small beginnings, one of them came forth, a horn whose impious presumption and pride grew exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the ornament. And in my vision, this horn grew great. Even against the host of heaven, God's true people, the saints, and some of the host and of the stars, priests, it cast down to the ground and trampled on them. Yes, this horn magnified itself, even matching itself against the prince of the host of heaven, and from him the continual burnt offering was taken away, and the place of God's sanctuary was cast down and profaned. And the host, the chosen people, was given to the wicked horn together with the continual burnt offering because of the transgression of God's people, their abounding irreverence, ungodliness, and lack of piety. And righteousness and truth were cast down to the ground. And it, the wicked horn, accomplished this by divine permission and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one that spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the continual offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of both the sanctuary and the host of the people to be trampled underfoot? And he said to him and to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed and restored." When I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. Then, behold, there stood before me one, Gabriel, with the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the river Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man, Daniel, understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man. For the fulfillment of the vision belongs to events that shall occur in the time of the end. Now as he, Gabriel, was speaking with me, I fell stunned and in deep unconsciousness with my face to the ground. But he touched me and set me upright where I had stood. And he said, Behold, I will make you know what will be in the latter time of the indignation of God upon the ungodly, for it has to do with the time of the end. The ram you saw having two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. And the shaggy and rough he-goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king who consolidated the whole realm, Alexander the Great. And as for the horn which was shattered, in whose place four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise out of his nation, but not having his Alexander's power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached the fullness of their wickedness, taxing the limits of God's mercy, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark trickery and craftiness shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall corrupt and destroy astonishingly, and shall prosper and do his own pleasure, and he shall corrupt and destroy the mighty men and the holy people the people of the saints. And through his policy, he shall cause trickery to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart and mind, and in their security he will corrupt and destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken, and that by no human hand.
the vision of the evenings and the mornings which has been told you is true. But seal up the vision, for it has to do with and belongs to the now distant future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for several days. Afterward I rose up and did the king's business, and I wondered at the vision. But there was no one who understood it or could make it understood. Did you notice how between Daniel chapters 2, 7, and 8, three of the four main kingdoms are named for us? How do these three chapters in the book of Daniel help you learn to trust in the word of God and his promises? In these accounts in the book of Daniel and some of the other stories such as Joseph, there were some miracles that of course greatly added to the credibility of their witness to the pagans around them. At the same time, too, what aspects of their character gave even more credibility to their witness? In other words, in what way can character and faithfulness, even more than signs and wonders, be a more powerful witness about the reality of God and what He can do in our lives? Here is one final thought to ponder. Matthew 24, 14 says in the Amplified Bible, And this good news of the kingdom, the gospel, will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then will come the end. Does this mean that Jesus will not come back until we do the work that he has called us to do? AmbassadorGroup.org Thanks for listening. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.